0: One offer per account. Offer subject to change. Twelve ninety nine per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T Mobile customers. Video at four eighty p. Capable device
2: required. See store for details and terms and conditions. This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Hotel Europa in Madrid. I know a lot of you guys go to Madrid often for Real Madrid games. I know because like our patrons are always trying to coordinate who's going to this one, who's going to that one. I'd be traveling in asking us for recommendations on where to stay where to go when you go don't bother booking any other hotel go to Hotel Europa it's right in Plaza del Sol you're close to bars grocery um a lot of cool little cafes Churreria San Ginés which is my go-to for churros and coffee a lot of great coffee shops cafes bakeries um Parks, Retiro, and Cibeles are not far away. I think it's a 45-minute or an hour walk to the Bernabeu, but also like a very quick metro right away. Um, and you're just in the most happening part of the city. So Hotel Europa in Seoul, they have hooked us up a couple times, and we've been floored. Great Wi-Fi. I know this because I've recorded multiple podcasts from there. Um, and you know what the best part is? Is you open up your balcony, and you're right on Seoul. So you get a view of the, the, like the most happening part of downtown. But also you close the patio door and just silence. You get a good night's sleep. The noise just doesn't come in. So it's a great spot. Forget about booking anyone else. HotelEuropa.eu is where you go to book. Make them your go-to.
3: Welcome. It is your Managing Madrid podcast for today, Sunday, September 16th, 2018. This is your host, Gabe Lesra, and I'm joined by Kian Sobani uh, and Om Arvin. Keon, not the greatest result for Real Madrid over the weekend. They drew Athletic Bilbao in San Mames 1 1 with a late goal or later goal from Isco.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we have a lot to talk about tonight. I mean, some good, some bad. I want to just first off say that I thought Bilbao were tremendous. Um, maybe just kind of get that out of the way, and I think we'll we'll break it down further. But I yeah. thought from one to ninety, they, I mean, not just the energy, but just their, the tactical setup that they had made sense to to go against this Lopetegui scheme. I thought, you know, kudos to them. I'm excited to break it down. I'm disappointed with the result, but. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, just a little blip, hopefully.
3: Yeah, and shout out to Marcelino for, for really setting that one up. Well, um, he clearly has some relationship with Lobetigi and he studied Madrid the way Madrid kind of moved and attacked, and also he did a great job, uh, motivating his players to come out, um, and, and really run and, uh, Cause Madrid problems all night. Just, Listen, just uh, played a high energy game.
1: Just, just a small correction. The manager's Barizo. Now who's new manager. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I, I need mean to call you out like that, bro. I just like, just, just so you know, we don't get that in the. That's
3: cool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, direct that at me, not at. Uh... <laughs> And normally, when there's something that's wrong that's said on this show, it's my, it's 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 me. I could, I am happy to take it. I am. I'm I'm pretty sure we've all person. taken
2: our L's on this podcast. Don't feel bad.
3: Oh yeah, that's a big old oh. L right at the beginning. Good start for me though on this show. Um, that, that uh, uh, uh but yeah, lots to talk about, including how dumb I am. But, um, I think, ohm the 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 beginning. I think the the way to begin this match. Let's talk a little bit about just how both teams kind of came out tactically. And for me, what I have in, in, in my notebook, the two things that I first in my notebook are that it was to me very clear that, at least at the beginning, and I think then continuing throughout the match, Bilbao was very, very interested in testing Courtois and saying, you know, asking him the question, like, can you, you know, really play with your feet enough? Right, he obviously starts his, uh, uh, again in a very tough environment. Can you play with your feet enough to become that outlet at the back that is needed to build from the back uh, in the way that Madrid are used to? Um, did you? I mean, how did you feel like he handled himself?
1: So I wasn't like overly enthralled. Like I don't think it was any ama- anything amazing, but I couldn't spot him making like super obvious mistakes. You know, there were a couple of times where he made some nice passes. I think especially because of the nature of the press, some some spaces opened up, like, you know, for, for a couple seconds. And there were, like, I think two or three times where, where Courtois, like, played a nice lofted pass into that area. It was, you know, it was a solid, I think, 7.5 out of 10 performance yeah. on the ball. Um, you know, it better, like, I I've said this before, I'm not a huge fan of his on-ball ability, I think. Nalas no has improved leaps and bounds in that in that area over the past couple of seasons. It was a superior option to play out from the back, but I think Courtois, you know, did well enough in 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 the game against Athletic Bilbao, and so I don't really see any angle which which with which I can criticize that performance.
2: Yeah, I didn't see, although like it's documented with Chelsea that you know he wasn't the best goalkeeper with the ball at his feet. I there was even like a couple times in this game where I was like, oh wow, that was actually really well composed and distributed. Um, I don't like I don't, I don't really have any complaints from Courtois on this game. You know, I thought I thought he was good. I imagine this means Kayler will start in the Champions League on Wednesday. But that's another discussion. But yeah,
3: yeah, that's 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 later in the show. But I will. I would. I so I just echo that my feeling was uh, I. Sure, he looked... I mean, there were definitely moments where I felt like he looked uncomfortable, but it doesn't matter if he looks uncomfortable so long as he executes the passes he needs to execute, and I felt like he did that across the board. So you can be and look uncomfortable. Like, it doesn't really matter so long as you are making the passes that you need to make, that you're you're basically doing the things and then you're and then you're not taking unnecessary risks when you don't need to. So like there were times when maybe the pass wasn't obviously there. And so he just, you know, tried to try to longer ball upfield, which Madrid I thought did a pretty good job of, of of getting on the ends of a lot of his longer passes. So I was actually pretty impressed with him in 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 that respect. Um So how did you feel like um, – you know, one of the things – another thing that I I noted almost from the very beginning was that Madrid just seemed, especially in the first half, uninterested or unwilling to to press.
1: Yeah, so I think that had to do with Athletic's own press and the way they dictated the game. So I'll start with that first because, in my opinion, that's what influenced our unwillingness to press ourselves. So – Essentially, like Athletic Babal wind up in a four-two-three-one. What was a four-two-three-one on paper? Like when when they were without the ball, it didn't really look like that. So, the so the press was a bit complex. So I'll try to I'll try to break it down like in in a way that's that's easier to understand, especially speaking verbally. So, essentially, they, it was man to it, man. It was a man to man pressing system. So, Kroos, as as he as he does, especially when he's playing as a defensive midfielder, will drop you know, in between the center backs, and that creates like a, a sort of back three in possession. So because Athletic Bilbao are playing in a four-two-three-one, they only had two players, right? If they wanted to go man-to-man, they only had two players in natural positions to press that back three. So they had Raul Garcia and Inaki Williams as the number 10 and the striker respectively. So one of the wingers had to come out and help them press. So yeah. depending depending on which side Real Madrid decided to build out from, either Susayeta or Muni would, would would rush out from their position and press one of the CB's uh, centre-backs. And Williams and Raul Garcia would, would press the other two on the other side. And so in order to compensate for that, the fullback behind um, Susayeta and Muni Ayin would step up onto either Asensio or Bale. Um, and then, you know, so that kind of whole shift that whole like it was like a chain reaction would happen. And so Athletic kind of almost had a 3-4-3 when they were pressing and it was all man-to-man. And Real Madrid did a decent job actually of holding on to the ball against the press. Like I think we completed around 13 passes before they made a successful defensive action, which is really, really impressive um, considering they were employing a very high press and a really intense one. Usually high presses like that, only allow five to seven passes per, per successful defensive action but the issue is once we tried to pass the ball into midfield danny garcia and ben yacht who were marking ceballos and modric would they would stick super close to them i mean they were willing to come extremely deep to follow our central midfielders the same for the defenders that were on our front three and they were clipping at our heels constantly and Modric, you know, he just didn't have a good game. He was dispossessed four times in the first half, and that's part of the reason he was subbed off. And so that that while we were able to keep the ball fairly well, we retained possession. It took a huge toll on us. Our Asensio and Benzema were moving all over the place. They had to be really fluid, and it took all of our energy, all of our focus to be able to keep the ball and progress it up the pitch. And so when time came, when we lost the ball, our players. You know who are more technical, especially our midfield, more than they are like real physical specimens. Just weren't that interested in pressing the opposition, especially immediately after we lost the ball. So there was no real counter press because we just didn't have the energy, and we and because we were so fluid, we didn't have the structure either to immediately engage in that press. So that made it easier for Athletic Bilbao to counter attack. We saw a lot with Inaki, Inaki Williams, like. um, Runs into the channel next to Ramos. We saw a lot of one versus one duels between him, Ramos, and when Varane shifted over as well. Mm-hmm. And that was their main outlet. And we were never really able to stop that until the changes in the second half because of the things that I mentioned beforehand.
2: I think, as is always the case when Om does his opening spiel, there's like, you yeah, have <laughs> no idea where to start. It's like, which point do you address? <laughs> um, I'm sorry about that, but. No, it, I mean it's always a fantastic analysis. I just have no idea where the, where the where the conversation has to go from here. But I think
1: I think I think you can talk about the changes, but obviously you probably have other points. No,
2: I think I think the main thing I think at this point to discuss and one of the main things I think that you noted, um, the way Bilbao man marked us defensively coming out of the back made it life really difficult to just build up play because. Anytime, any of the back four at the ball, um, or that includes also Kroos dropping in behind the center backs, Modric in particular was swarmed. There's no way you're getting the ball to him. And if you get the ball to him, he's either quick release backwards, or there was a couple times where he was like just lunging at the ball to get a touch to play one touch pass and, and get it through, which basically left... Benzema is a really really important player in this entire game because Mm -hmm. so much of the long passes just had to go to him and it was him dropping deep and I thought he I thought he did a good job I thought it was a difficult job because basically he had to be the relief point for anything that was coming out of the back in the first half I had question marks whether Bilbao could sustain it you know there's always the frenetic energy and the hype from the crowd and that fuels them and and I guess at some point your lungs kind of start to fade and it did a little bit, but I felt like just as it was about to fade, they scored the goal. And that leads into the the other problem defensively, which was that half space between Marcelo and Ramos was just so vulnerable. Um, right before Munayin scored, um, Inyaki got into that space and he had a shot go just wide. Ramos, I think, barely closed the angle. The ball goes wide. And then the goal, where I uh, I I took a note on who went into the half space. Um, do you? Marcos.
1: It was the right back, Marcos.
2: Yeah, it was Marcos, and and he and he gets in that space where like Inyaki first makes the run into that space. So, but he's opening, but they don't get the ball to him. Maybe Real Madrid were lucky, but obviously not lucky. But Inyaki just goes, and then and then Marcos goes in that space, and then they they just. They le- they were vulnerable in that little half space, and I think, um, I guess I think Casemiro helped with that stuff, you know, um, at least getting to those spots defensively. Um, yeah, go the ahead, Ca- the
3: Casemiro introduction I think changed the game, and it was a I think the the it was an interesting one. Um, obviously coming in for Thibajos. Uh, to me, I mean, when I, I you know I I was looking at this match in the way. The way it sort of was progressing, it struck me that that the per, that Modric was underperforming, and it was underperforming partially, I thought, because of some of the tactical choices, but also because, I mean, he really is sort of still in preseason mode, and uh, it's been, a, I mean, he will get better, and they when Lovataghi's tacticals structures will allow for him as we saw a little bit when Casemiro came on uh, you know a little bit freer but he, he just isn't quite up to the pace yet and Madrid's offense really does uh, when it's just him there and, and that, that doesn't include Isco like in, in and you know in, in certain in certain scenarios like it actually does show pretty clearly I thought so bringing on Casemiro for Ceballos was a uh, it was important to bring Casemiro on. I think that that's one of the interesting things about this match was that it was a match where the it showed a little bit that the Kroos' DM approach wasn't, you know, didn't really work. Crow's dropping as deep as, or as 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 he had to didn't work as well, I think, as perhaps maybe we expected it to, and that's that's partially and mainly due to Bill Bow's. Uh, Bilbao's game plan. Yeah. But Casemiro's introduction really did help that. And my my only wonder was whether perhaps Ceballos deserved to stay on a little bit next to Kroos as Kroos shifted forward, or just straight up bringing off Kroos and let Modric play continue, like just shift Modric up again a little bit more with next to Casemiro, or to Ceballos and let them continue to combine and dropping Casemiro back. But the the real question, I think, ultimately was... I uh, you know whether Modric was actually up to 100% and I think this game at least when I was watching it felt like Modric just isn't quite there like he's I think he's still dealing with some mental like the mental issues <laughs> surrounding losing the World Cup final which is got to be one of the toughest things you can do as a human being and then uh also he's he's you know still in preseason I just I just got the sense that Modric who's normally someone who is underrated in the larger press, but uh, correctly rated by Keon and us generally for his, for his ability to cover so many positions, sort of simultaneously play everywhere uh, and play in this defensive role. I just felt like he wasn't quite as everywhere as he maybe, maybe is when he's at a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. I, I want to touch on a couple of those points. So like one, I think the cast introduction was, was extremely interesting because so, first, so like in relation to the point about pros, so pros is a defensive midfielder, I think if you want to think about how you would make that work, right? Like, because the reason Lopetegui didn't play Casemiro was because Casemiro played at the minutes in the international break, had only just traveled like back to Madrid, I think, a day before that sort of thing. So, and and it seems that Lopetegi doesn't have that faith in Marcos Llorente and wants Kroos to be that option. So if you think about how you want, you look at Kroos' qualities and you think about how you make that work, you think about what Kroos' strengths are and what his weaknesses are and his weakness as a defensive midfielder is defending counterattacks because he doesn't have the mobility, the same level of, I think, desire as Casemiro, I think is fair to say because we've seen him jogging back, multiple occasions, not really this match, but on other occasions. So that's the weakness, right? And, and the way, especially Lopetegui, gets around that type of thing, even if you think about Spain, when Busquets is playing as a defensive midfielder, I mean, he's better defensively than Kroos, but he has the same mobility issues, is that there's a lot of counter-pressing immediately after the ball is lost. And Kroos slash Busquets will use their positional intelligence to kind of, like, position themselves in relation to the counter-press to protect against, like... A, a more vertical pass, but as I mentioned before, Athletic Bilbao did not allow us to counter press, or we were not able to keep up with the pace of the game. So our ability to control the game is not just ha- it just, just doesn't have to do with our, our actions on the ball, but also our actions off it. And Athletic, the, the intensity to which like it, to which Athletic raised the game, didn't allow us to control the game in the manner that we wanted to. And I think Lopetegui bringing Casemiro on was an admission that yeah, we can't control the game. So you know what? I'm just gonna embrace like the chaos. I'm gonna bring on Casemiro. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna progress the ball as neatly. We're maybe not gonna resist the press as nicely. But this guy is gonna do a lot better job at protecting that left half space that Keon was talking about. And he's just he's gonna match the physicality and pace of the game. Like I was talking yeah. to one of the tactics guys like that, that I'm working with on the new side, he told me Casemiro is thriving in this madness. And it was it just summed up perfectly, yeah. you know, what he brought to the game. I mean, he squared up against Raul Garcia, you know, he was winning aerial He won the yeah. aerial duel for the equalizing goal. And then Isco came on for the underperforming Modric and we suddenly had so many ball carrying actions. It was no yeah. longer that that team based press resistance that we saw in the game. It was a lot faster, you know, a lot more individual actions to help us get back in the game. And it was it was really interesting to see the way Lopetegui reacted to all
3: of that. Yeah, and he it was great. I mean, uh, you know, as as I think you uh, mentioned in your article here for um, between the post, you you note that Lopetegui embraced the chaos. I mean, that is sort of you know a really important. Trait in a manager is to be able to see what the game is turning them to be, and then match your substitutions and your tactical shifts to the game. And I thought Madrid looked a lot better in the second half, uh, especially dealing with some of the physicality uh, of of you know athletics players. I mean, in particular, Raul Garcia, who is an actual you know human piece of garbage. Right? <laughs> Just like what <laughs> I don't know if there's any player on uh, uh, on any team that I dislike as much as I, I, I have disliked for Garcia, <laughs> but uh, it was good to see him getting finally squared up against uh, uh, Casemiro, and I did feel like, uh, uh, I mean, I did feel like Kroos was much better when he was a little bit relieved of some of those duties, so that, that was all a lot of positives. I mean, truth be told, guys, this is a, it's a game that, it's important to, to win. Like, let's let's not sugarcoat it. This is a game that, that Madrid needs to be able to win to win La Liga. But it's also, there are positives to draw from this performance. And this is not the end of La Liga. This is not the end of the world. This is not, you know, uh, sort of the catastrophe that I think some people have been making it out to be.
2: I just want to circle back to Cruz for a second because um, <clears throat> I think the question of, of Kent is Cruz a defensive midfielder or can you play as a defensive midfielder the answer is always going to be against who because i know that Lopetegi wants to go into every game playing the same um kind of like just force your tactics down the throat of your opponents and say look we are the better team we're going to do what we want and you have to adjust to us um i think and i think that's the right approach for what it's worth but i think there are gonna be games that I think you just you just can't do that. Like you can it, you can do that against uh, Leganés because you're gonna have an unworldly amount of possession, and it's not just gonna be useless possession. It's gonna be very um, very much in the flow, um, offensive efficiency, creating chances, switching play, um, and counter pressing. But if you can't do that, it's it, like you guys have already mentioned, it becomes chaotic, and um like I would say, I would go as far as to say I think it's if it's a big game, I don't know if you can you can do this unless you're really sure yeah. that you can control this game because the crows problem is is obviously one that he jogs back by the way, there was an instance in this game I don't know if you guys um remember it or not um i even i think I may have even taken a note on it um where it, when it was quick glance i can't find it i'm sure i'll find it later he not only didn't jog back on a counter-attack he just laid down he he just laid down dude he, he got he got dispossessed he fell oh i remember and I then remember. he just you know, laid like, down yeah, on yeah, his yeah. stomach not even like holding his shin not even like complaining he just laid down he, like it's just, like there's like a like a lethal counter-attack happening behind him that that stuff is just part of who he is, and like, and I don't think like there are times you can say it's by design or it's like energy energy conservation. Not when you're the DM, it does not. It, you can't do that. But uh, if like you know, there has been I guess quote unquote big games where I think he's put master classes. As that defensive midfielder, one was against City in 2016. Mm-hmm. I want to say
1: about to convention that yeah. But yeah, the, the problem is Finals.
2: yeah. But the problem is that City team was so mm-hmm. terrible, and they had put <laughs> no pressure on him to do anything. And in those situations, yeah, it's going to work, and actually, it's going to be better for you and more conducive to you winning because you can just control the game and pl- uh, pack the midfield with you know technical players. I the other thing I think that Casemiro fixed in this game was not only just the defensive issues, just allowing Kroos to kind of get out of that deep-lying playmaking role when he couldn't really have any outlets to pick out anyway. Um, by the way, Kroos had an absurd passing accuracy in this game. And, you know, it's like this is still what Kroos does. But the pass to um, Bale, which led to the equalizer, like that's the stuff that all Casemiro allows Kroos to do, pushing him higher up the pitch, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I, I just want to quickly say, though, I think it's worth noting that I don't think we're going to play an, a, another game with this level in, of intensity again, unless we have another internet. Like, I mean, there's going to be another international break, but we'd also have to play a team that, that wants to play like this. Like this is Berizo's like, this is his, this is like his go-to style, especially against the big teams, this man-to-man marking style, really intense but I have watched this before, and even in like in in games where like there's no when when he doesn't have an international break preceding it, like even even then it's not that intense. Like Athletic Bill Bilbao's, a lot of their players had a lot of time to rest. You know, Barizzo had weeks to draft up his plan, you know, and ensure that his players understand what what to do. Like I, I think like if you if you're thinking about how you want to beat Madrid, then maybe you think about. This is kind of maybe the way you want to go about it. But like this level of intensity, like say a couple of weeks after this one, I don't think that would have happened. I think they would have gotten gassed a lot quicker. They were afforded, you know, certain, like a, a certain amount of, you know, of rest and, and, and tactical, like, you know, a time to, to build their tactical knowledge for this game that will usually not exist. You know, not taking away from this brilliant performance. I mean, you take the advantages that you can. But just I think to put the performance in context a little bit, and also, as I, I've said many times before, like Lopetegui's philosophy is still not fully embedded in the side. It's going to take like half the season, so I'd be interested to see. You know, well, you know, maybe into the the, the final third of the season, we face another really intense pressing system. I liked it. I, I'd be interested to see how much better our, our, our ball progression and, and ball retention is because it, it really wasn't that bad this match. You know, there were just it was just the pace of the game that just, you know, that just kind of took our, took our, our, our recovery ability away. So, you know, it, again, like, like, like I think Gabe was saying, no need to panic. Some interesting things to take away some positives, possibly some negatives, but you know, heads up. I think there's a lot of good things to come after this game.
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, and a lot of good things to come for athletic football, who genuinely, genuinely did look good. Um, I, I do want to um, I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this because when I was watching the match, Athletic Bilbao's goal was an interesting series of plays and set of play that 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 allowed for it to happen. Uh, I was interested in a couple of uh, a couple of concerns. First of all, um, there was some talk that perhaps Courtois could have done better on the play. What did, did, did Keon? Did you feel that way?
2: That Courtois could have done better on on the goal conceded? Yeah. Um I I, find, I I didn't really think about it. I'm kind of I'm I'm actually, I'm looking at the goal now. I I just I heard some I
3: heard some um um You know what? I I, mean, I maybe he could have done
2: better. It. I think but I I don't know. I think it'd be really really harsh to pin it on him because I think it was a defensive sequence that broke down. And I think um you know, maybe he should maybe he should stay a bit put. I at the same time I don't know how much you want to pin it on him. I mean, I guess I I
3: don't I don't think that he's the person to pin it on. Yeah. I I disagree with the the criticism, but I've seen it. I just wanted to deal with it. I think perhaps the only places that perhaps he should have done better on the square ball where it seemed like he got um got a hand or a foot too. Yeah. Um but otherwise I don't think he's to blame at all for that. I also found a interesting i'm i'm i think I, i'm interested in hearing your take on that this i think was a goal it was i mean it was a goal that uh was a very complicated one i think in terms of the rules because what i saw when i watched this on on replay a couple times was that it, it is a goal when in yaki williams should that just go in like the ball was going in but when Muniain actually, uh, Muniain, he actually smacked that thing in, I actually thought that at the, at the at, that he was, began that play and, and ended the play in an offside position, and I, it was like inches from the goal when it was going in, so I didn't really understand why he would do that, but like, on replay I thought like, this actually was an issue for him.
2: So it was, I don't know uh... if you,
3: I mean, who cares, right? Because ultimately it didn't matter, but I thought this is one of those plays where even with VAR, and this is one of the things where uh, it's it's tough because even with VAR, this is a play where there's so many bodies. Um, you need very specific camera angles and very specific uh, tech to actually see this. But when they did do it in very slow mo, I felt like he was he he began the play in an offside position and then smacked the ball into the net for no reason or to. The old goal from his friend Inyaki, which was pretty rude.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I saw you. I saw you um, tweet about it, and uh, I at the time I was kind of just in the middle of writing, and I and I was like, I I, I and I looked at, it, I was like, I didn't really see anything, but I, I kind of have to. Um, I don't I don't really have anything to add to what you said, unless Om does. I uh, I mean, well,
1: I mean, I think, I think the people the people are. For, I think Ramos. If you look at like the play was well out of position uh, when when they started like building from like around the halfway line, and he yeah. was trying to run back, but it was too late. And Yaki made that move into that half space, and Varane tracked it, and Ramos was trying the entire time to yeah. get back in position, but everyone was caught ball watching. And then DeMarcos makes that run like blindside run like on the underlap. Yeah. No one sees it. So like I think it was a huge defense a to tough- pick up. I it's think a, Ramos I think Ramos
3: was the prime culprit. Oh, totally. Uh, and it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow a little bit. I mean like I think it's a fair result though. If you look at the um expected goals, the advanced metrics, I mean actually Real Madrid played a pretty strong game. Like absent that exact play Madrid had about what 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7 expected goals whereas uh, and Bilbao had one, but a huge chunk of them, 8.8 8 of their expected goals, came from that shot, those two shots, right? Because they, they, they're they qualifying Williams' initial play as a shot and then uh, mooney is also a shot. So actually, like, the the, the display of likelihood, like, likely chances from Bilbao shows actually that, that they were taking a lot of low-percentage chances. And I actually felt that, that, like, that they may have been... They were creating... Uh, danger in the spaces, but the danger wasn't actually leading to uh, shots on goal. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: I I agree with that. I think just one clarification. I think for the uh, X, for the XG map, as far as I'm as aware, as far as I'm aware, they only like in a situation like that where there's like a rebound mm-hmm. or like there's like a two shot situation like that, they take the highest XG one and they don't count the other one Fair because it's normal. In normal situations, only one goes in, and because it was basically an open goal, like that, I think the, they gave the Mun- Munayin shot like point eight or whatever you mentioned. Right. But I mean, otherwise, everything you're saying is spot on. I think even for Real Madrid, I think we created we created more shots for sure. I think it was sixteen to twelve. But even us, we only had I think like two to three high yeah. quality chances that boosted it. Like I think the Sergio Ramos like the re- talking about <laughs> rebounds, like the yeah. free kick, Ramos's rebound, like. I think it would be harsh to say like he absolutely should have scored, but I felt that was a huge chance to win the game. Obviously, Simone, who who who's who's in the side, you know, for the injured Iago in. he had a really good game, and then of course there was the Asensio chance. I think it was like point four XG or something like that over the top. I think it was Ramos who who played a really good long ball.
3: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that was more understandable that he that he missed that, but those were really our two chances to, to miss true. the game. To win the game and we missed it,
2: but I think, uh, just going back to Gabe's point earlier, I I believe like I think he's right, he they they can they counted both just because they actually show the breakdown when you when you see when you look at the XG, the the Inyaki shot and the Munyain shot, both in the 31st minute, they have them both.
1: Is this is this on your stats? Yeah,
2: I haven't looked at 11 tagins yet.
1: So but. eleven taken eleven, right. So eleven taken eleven and because like I write for a site where he provides the stats and all, yeah. it's his method where he doesn't count it. That's why his his expected goals is like one point six, whereas like or is it's lower. I, it's lower for Athletic Bilbaos than it is for uh um, then Understat has it for them. Mm, and it's because eleven taken eleven only counts like the most significant shot. I remember asking okay. him about this. I wonder
2: I don't know. I yeah. I think
1: Michael he does the same as well. So yeah, I mean, that's, he does the
2: same as eleven taken or underset.
1: I think he does the same as eleven taken and mm-hmm. eleven. Um, so I think that's one thing, obviously, to keep you know be careful of. Like these are all different methodologies. Ninety-five percent of the time, they're generally coming up with the same numbers, but there's always situations like this where you have to you have to use your head and.
3: Right, yeah. I agree with eleven taken. I I agree with that that methodology. I just. What if I when I'm looking at the the two two aspects of the kind of xG map, if you actually I mean just looking at it, you know, Athletic scored about what their xG was, which is fair enough. Sometimes people score over, sometimes people don't score under, um, but their shots really did feel like I I did not at any point feel like Madrid was. In any like, I felt like they were in trouble in that they were create allowing space that the defense was not dealing as well as they probably should have with some of these runs, but that actually they were doing a pretty solid job. And this is another time where I feel like Lopetegui won't get any credit, but I felt like actually this was a match where uh, it could have. I mean, it, it could have been a lot. This is such a nuanced, annoying thing to say, but it could have looked a lot worse for Madrid from both the static statistics. And just from a, uh, a purely, I mean, if you think about how uh, how much right uh, uh, Athletic came out to play this match and how high energy they were and how and how well they executed their game plan. Looking at this this map, actually, they executed their game plan pretty well against Real Madrid, but their offensive game plan. I think it was mediocre. And so I, I with, with a team with as many offensive and impressive offensive weapons, Madrid seems to have dealt pretty well with them, it looks like.
1: Well, I, I think yeah. Ramos and... Sorry, Ken, no, no, I was, Go ahead. Go ahead. Quickly, I, I, think, I think Ramos and Varane deserve a lot of credit because, I mean, I criticized Ramos for the goal, which I think is fair, and I stand by that. But there were four or five occasions for both players where they were one versus one with Iñaki In- Williams or Susayeta... Or DeMarcus down that right flank, and they just flat out stopped them and, and didn't allow those dangerous situations to turn into shots. And, like, I mean, these are two world class center backs. Like, I mean, they will mis- make mistakes from time to time, especially in like a high intensity game like this. But if it wasn't for their skill in those, I mean, I don't think there's two center backs in world football better than Ramos and Veran at defending space on the counterattack simply because they've had to deal with this their entire careers at Real Madrid. And it it, mo- it showed 99% of the time in in the Bilbao game because that was what they were doing, yeah. you know, for for, for for most of their defensive duties. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, and I think I think Real Madrid fans especially are getting better at recognizing that and perhaps being a little easier on them because, yeah, they'll make the mistake. I think Ramos is prone to brain farts more than Varane. But... They also don't get enough credit for for performing an immensely difficult job, yeah. and we we saw it again uh, yesterday against Bilbao.
2: Well, there were, I, I think one to Gabe's point, and then two to Olm's point. To Gabe's point, I think there's only so much a lot of La Liga teams can do offensively against the bigger teams, and they what Bilbao rightfully did, um, and other La Liga teams have 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 done in the past is. Have a solid defensive structure and things can fall into place and your XG may not be high, but you'll get one or two really good chances at least. Um, and I think that's what Bilbao did and they did it correctly. I think, um, I also think at, at some point, I mean like Inyaki was, was, a, was a big threat obviously, but I think what they tried to do, especially they did this early and often, they did it, five times within the first 30 minutes, by my notes, is they tried to get Inyaki into a foot race with the defensive line. Long pass. And hope that he can just kind of let it run past the shoulder and just and have a foot race. Varane and Ramos locked it down every time. And uh, they were either in position or they, they could just shield the ball uh, or just dispossess him. And I think, like Oms said, give them credit for that. I'd also say... Um, <clears throat> Uh what were, what were you saying, Um? What was I gonna say? What, to your point? What were you saying?
1: Um, I was talking about how they defend space better than any other center backs in world football and you know how they deserve credit for that and you know I you you don't ignore the brain farts, which Ramos can be prone to, but like they've been doing this their entire career, so like this is just routine for them at this point.
2: No, you said something else. <laughs>
1: um what, what did I say, Gabe? You remember? <laughs> <laughs> this is guys, please, please become patreons.
3: Yeah, um, really important is... shit right here. I'm like looking at my notes, <laughs> thinking about the next thing to bring up, and
2: uh, I mean, no, <laughs> there's plenty of things to talk about. I'm just trying to was I just had lost the train, my train of thought. Okay, well, don't let this right, podcast I'm almost talking about it, like
3: um, how Ramos and Barron actually together did play a strong game despite you know, say her almost maybe failing on the, on the, on the goal, the conceded
2: goal. No, something else. It'll come to me later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well,
1: I think it's fair to say we can move on to questions now. And then it. Keon Keon
2: No, there's Keon, other things sir, before questions, but the, um, damn, that's going to bug me. That's going to bug the heck out of me. Real Madrid uh, is
3: playing Roma on Wednesday also, by the way, everyone
2: just, yes, I'm excited for that one. Just, just nice that. to have Champions League football back.
3: Uh, in terms, I mean, in terms of other things that that, that I wanted to uh, mention, I think we've basically kind of covered it. The last topic that I wanted to bring up, and I know this is gonna annoy Keon, but um, I wanted to Keon, I wanted you to toss us an update on how the Esco haters are are Esco haters, and then Esco uh, lovers and
2: uh, yeah. haters
3: are are doing what how's that how's that drama unfolding
2: um well it's it, it's we're not as i said on twitter we're not allowed to like nice things um and in this case <laughs> we're not allowed to like more than one player or support multiple players we're not we're not allowed to like one player but also like another player is essentially the rule on twitter ah, yes, yeah so if you know if um I remember in the, in one of the Spain games. I think it was. I don't know if it was Croatia or England. I think it was England. Um, just people going at going at me because I said Isco's defensive work rate is and also IQ is <laughs> I underrated. Remember, yeah. And it, and I, and oh yeah, we talked about this last podcast. Everyone yeah, and yeah, people yeah, yeah. were like, you know, he's not on the pitch to defend, blah, Blah blah. And then we 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 dunked on them. Um, last podcast, but. Th- it it just amazes me because like then it's like oh see Lopategi does know that you can't start Isco and then then the team plays you know quote unquote poorly without him and then it's because Isco's not there and Ceballos is overhyped and it, it just it just
1: I saw so much I saw so much Isco slander you know before the match when when people realized he wasn't starting and then like right after he came on. I don't get it. Like, I, I know we discussed beforehand that, like, we always have to have a scapegoat each season. Isco seems to be the one thus far. But there has always been this dislike by a particular section of fans. Like, a lot of them were James Rodriguez fan because there was that James versus Isco thing. But it's not just them. Like, it, it, it's, it's other fans as well. They just really just do not like Isco at all. Like, they, they want him to fail and it, it's just too many people. Like, I, I just don't understand it at all. Like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> like, I, I I don't get it, but I was really happy to see Isco <laughs> come and play, in, and play his part in changing the game. This past was one of them, but we didn't mention Isco enough because Isco came on and essentially did what Modric couldn't do and what Modric usually does, which was retain the ball under pressure, you know, dribble past players, break lines, and help carry the ball upfield single-handedly, because that was necessary. Like, with Casemiro coming on for Sibbayos, we lost that skill, and so we needed some of that back. Yeah, so yeah. for Modric, that's when, like, Casemiro's positives and Isco's positives literally combined together to give us the goal, because Casemiro is the one who won the aerial duel off the goal kick, and while Athletic Bilbao were still disorganized, Kroos, who, as Keon mentioned, you know, was higher up the pitch thanks to Casemiro, picked up the ball, put a long ball over the top to, to Bale, and Bale crosses it in, and Isco, of all people, is there headed away. And he was he was a huge game-changer for us that night. And, uh, yeah. And all the criticism he gets, a lot of it unfair. I think it's it's only it's only right that we give him praise for, for his impressive performance against athletic football.
2: Well, I think that... He... Go ahead, dude. Well, sorry, the... The other thing that we don't maybe mention with Kroos enough is that he is really good on the left-hand side um, at pressing cohesively alongside the attackers. And I'm not saying he can't press from a anchoring position. Obviously, he can, and it's a team effort. But I think like, if you look at... And we kind of discussed why we didn't press much in this game, but... There were definitely moments in the first half where we lost possession and Ceballos is counter-pressing like mad. And and nobody's around him. Like, nobody's supporting him. And then there's this huge gap behind him. And then Atletico, athletic break. And there, were def- there was one moment where I noted, this happens. Ceballos goes and tries to retain possession. He's hounding. He's pressing high. Nobody is following suit. They've all kind of hedged back. And then it takes a few passes and Bilbao somehow get a three-on-two attack and like those things i think at least crow seems could maybe organize from a higher position if you know if needed maybe that's a case to be made for him um i but that pressing that that thing is something i forgot to bring up which i wanted to um sorry gabe you had something you were going to say and then but
3: no i don't i don't okay. um it was just that uh that was the end of my um kind of outline for what i wanted to talk about in this match
2: i have one more note before we move on to questions i thought <clears throat> two things that oh by the way before i say that i remember what i was going to say um, all right i i actually already said it i literally i s- <laughs> i said i said what it's i wanted Patreons. to say i said what i wanted to say and then somehow f- almost forgot that i said it and then i asked om to to clarify what he said and nothing but it yeah j- the basically the what you need to know is that I'm just really tired and uh, I had I had basically Luca to myself today. My wife was out all day and so maybe it just, um, mentally I'm not as sharp tonight because I had a lot on my plate. But um, two things that I thought Bilbao couldn't deal with when we really couldn't build up play, Asensio and Marcelo dribbling inside. Um Because every time they would cut in from the flanks with their dribble, and we know how unstoppable their dribbling can be, particularly Marcelo's, like, he is just some kind of wizard with the ball. Like, we talk about defensively, he should have done this, should have done that. Just some of the things he does just makes you stand up out of your seat and just hold your head. Because, like, it's just magical to watch him with the ball. And uh, just some of the stuff he could have, he did, and Asensio did, Bilbao had no answer because they would cut in they would dribble they would take three players out of the scheme completely and they would be able to either switch it far post or make an incisive pass or dribble those are the types of players you need in a game like this and that's why I also like Isco just popped into my head immediately and I was happy that his goal vindicated a lot of things because his movement and, and everything that he does is unpredictable and it's hard to deal with so I think that's something that And also, like Ohm's point earlier about embracing chaos if you're Lopetegui, it's just you kind of need to in games like that if you want to open up a defensive line that's stubborn and actually well-organized. It's players like Asensio, Marcelo, and Isco.
3: I... I'm happy to move on um, to questions just to try to keep us on some semblance of a, uh, of a schedule. That was a very interesting game though. Obviously, Real Madrid playing Roma in the first round, first match, of the Champions League should be very interesting in Rome. Uh, I believe I'm very excited to see Roma um The only major change in their squad is Alisson. Obviously, they upset Barcelona. They are certainly capable of playing a fantastic game in their own stadium, especially. Um, So anyone who's expecting a cakewalk like when Madrid played Roma in the United States uh, is going to be very disappointed. It will be a big question right now. Uh, whether Madrid comes first or second in their group because there are a lot of other teams who are going to be – there are some groups of death this season, which could mean that a fair number of teams uh, end up as second in their group or first in their group uh, and, and uh, that, that Madrid will want to avoid. Um, in particular, uh, you know, Om, we were talking earlier on on the Let's Six Football show. Just to plug, Omen, I did a good show earlier today. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, now plays at Juventus. So would be ideal for Madrid not to get Juventus that early. Um though, you know, <laughs> it could happen. Manchester City, all these other teams. If we so, have very- to
2: play them, I'd rather it be early for sure.
3: Yeah, I'm 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 basically of that mind. Uh but it an early tie Juventus versus, um, as Omen and I were mentioning, early, Ju- Juventus versus say Madrid, Barca, or like another team that's really a high level, S- Manchester City, or let's say even a team that could give them a run, um, a tough a tough run, like say um, PSG, that could be a real catastrophe for them. So it'd be very interesting to see um, what happens with that. Um, okay. Uh, jumping into some questions, Thomas Berg asks us: um, So, two articles today um, have backed the perception of Madrid out, outperforming Barcelona economically. With this and quote, and our book of Managing Madrid podcast, very good friend and and various time guest Stephen Mandis' is his book The Real Madrid Way, uh, extensive <clears throat> economic deep dive. Uh, maybe it's time now to get Balaguey, Guillem Balaguey on to ask him to explain what he means when he says that Real Madrid are in so much debt that they can't buy the players they want Uh, I so just two things, first of all um, we may be Ah, uh, privy to information, or uh, Guillermo may be privy privy to information we don't have, and I'm very interested to see you chat with him to um, have a conversation because I think it would be really illuminating um, to hear where he's coming from and and um, you know where 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 yeah you know, what what he's thinking why um, you know what where this is coming from this this type of argument, uh, and so hopefully he would be willing to come on. We'd love to chat um, about this, but mainly about other stuff. So if he's doubtful that he's listening but if he is we'd love to have you on um to chat about this i think it's very interesting uh, from all the publicly available information and as you say the data from uh the real madrid way which um stephen and is just uh to remind everyone stephen mandis is a professor at columbia university he's also a uh, uh, who's also run a hedge fund. He is a, a uh, economist, a finance guy. He's dug into Madrid financials very closely and shown, I think, pretty conclusively how economically healthy Real Madrid are. Um, and uh, with these articles now saying Madrid also is continuing to be economically healthy, um, and uh, I I I find. I look at this situation personally as someone who's studied these before, and think to myself that Madrid is a very healthy company when it comes to, you know, just normal corporate activities. Like it's a, it's a very high-end corporate, uh, uh, you know, very healthy corporate company that could, in fact, if I were, you know, giving advice for if I were their lawyer, I would tell them something along the lines of you can take on more leverage if you'd like um, to make investments that you feel comfortable with. So. It's not just that they are at the extent they're leveraged. They they could stand to be a little bit more leveraged to increase profits. Um, But obviously with any leverage comes risks. So, uh, yeah, but this has to do also with the I think the reason we're seeing these articles is that um, the Spanish sporting press and, you know, we rag on them a lot, but I don't think it's their fault for not understanding this. But the Spanish sporting press just simply doesn't understand corporate finance, so uh, they don't. They see Real Madrid needing to spend a lot of money to maybe do obras for the Bernabéu to make it a you know bigger and maybe a higher end stadium, and they see oh well he has to take out all this debt that'll affect all these other things, but actually. Um, you know, this is actually quite a normal tool of corporate finance, especially to, function, uh, to, to fund construction projects. Not only is it useful uh, for Real Madrid uh, in the short term, it's also useful in the long term because properly used leverage actually increases profit. So it could allow for Madrid to be um, even more profitable entity down the line than it would be if it, say, just used its own cash reserves to pay for this. Uh, and I can explain that in a different show, but not today because it takes a little bit more, a um, little bit more nuance. But they're they're right now. What we see is a very economically healthy club. Um, so I'm very interested to see why uh, um, and where where Balagué is coming from, and where some of the people that have been saying that that this is an issue are coming from. Because from everything that we've seen, every publicly information uh, available information this does not appear to me to be the case. So I'm interested to hear what other people have to say.
2: So I have I have nothing to add. I don't really have anything to add based on what you said because I think you summed it up really well and I think you understand this stuff really well. And I think, <clears throat> um, wait, I mean, this is all public knowledge, whether you want to read it in Stephen's book or you're going to just kind of look at public financial reports and the amount of revenue that's coming in, the amount of, Advertising deals that we're locking up, the amount of advertising deals we will lock up once the new stadium goes up and you have this giant screen, you know, like those are going to be expensive ads. And the amount of like TV deals and money coming in from winning the Champions League three times and then uh, all these friendlies and, and exhibitions around the world. And, uh, and also, reportedly, Adidas will sign a, a new. Contract with us, which may be the most lucrative in terms of sponsoring um, ever with a with a company like that. It when you know I, I, I Balaga may or may not come on the show to talk to us about this, or maybe he does. He just doesn't want anyone to ask him, but I don't know. But um, I I when he says that Real Madrid earns so much debt that we can't buy the players, I. I don't know if people realize, but I, or maybe it's just really under talked about, and, and we just don't realize. Because I understand we've been in a net negative spend, uh, sorry, we've been we've been in a positive net net spend, meaning that maybe I have them reversed, but just essentially that we've we've we brought in more on transfer fees than we've than we purchased. Maybe people don't realize we spent 180 million euros this summer. I know it's low key, but it's 180 million, and that still leaves 80 million left over. Even after you know purchasing, selling Ronaldo, getting 100 million there, that's 80 million we've we spent. Um, it 180 million altogether. It if we couldn't, then we wouldn't. You know what I mean? I so I'd be very yeah. curious to know what Guillem is referring to. I mean, it's possible he is. We also info. there were
3: also raises that were given. I mean, there's yeah. Um and raises are actually a more complex um thing to deal with than uh, amortized transfer fees. You know exactly how much they're going to cost, but raises include incentives and all these other things. And I uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really get where this is coming from. Um, but that's all I have to say. I'm I'm very I'm interested to hear where people are coming from and uh and if maybe this is just um something that that has been kind of muttered about or or kind of Floated out there by the by the Catalan press, but I, I would say that I would expect uh, what I've seen of Barcelona's financials that they actually may have some issues with um, with debt actually because not just because of um, you know the amount that they've spent obviously, but also because of. Uh, but also because of the fact that the banks that they le- lend from generally are not quite as strong banks as others, and so we'll we'll have to see. But also, their uh,
2: wage structure is astronomical. Their way, as we
3: know, their wage yeah. structure is quite quite different from Real Madrid's. Um,
2: and we lost Ronaldo's salary off the books too.
3: Ronaldo's salary, everyone should remember, is about sixty million a year, mm. just by itself, because he he demanded thirty million after tax. Yeah. Um okay. Next question. Essa Hariri asks us um, about roles. Hey guys, um, I've got a question at I am still lost with uh, the roles for the midfielders overall. Is Kroos a center defensive midfielder or center midfielder? Is Modric is Modric number ten? What uh, uh, number ten. What is the role of Tavajos? I only see him pass and get fouled. <laughs> how about these roles? <laughs> is Slobategui still experimenting with different roles for the players or is it just chaos thanks
2: I mean we kind of uh, answered the Kroos part of it this right I mean yeah we did ohm yeah. sounded like he was about to to dive in
1: I mean I'll just kind of like take a stab at it in general but like yeah I, I wasn't going to say too much about Kroos because we did I mean I mean, I don't super understand this question. So, like, apologies if I don't really get to the heart of it. But Kroos is, a de- he's our single pivot defensive midfielder when Casemiro is not playing. It seems that's clear. Otherwise, he plays in a more advanced role on the left side. Like, in our three man midfield, he plays as the left central midfielder. And he- he's essentially the guy, if Casemiro is playing next to him, he controls the game from the deep left half space. So that's his role when he's not a defensive midfielder. And those are the two roles, I think, really the only two roles we're really going to see him play throughout you know, his time with Lopetegi Also pretty similar to the roles he had under Zidane. Is Modric number 10? No, but he tends to play the more advanced role of that three-man midfield because Kroos is deeper if, if Casemiro is there. So Modric has got to be the one who provides more vertical options. I, I'd say Sablios when he's playing plays a role more similar to Modric. Like, he's about breaking lines, you know, with his dribbling and passing, so it would be the same if Isco was in that role. Um, so, I I don't know if I'd say Lopetegui's experimenting. Um, I I think, like, the abilities Kroos have defensive midfield are all pretty well established. I think he's just playing players where, where they are best or where they are best when other players aren't playing or, like, what's best for the team. So, I mean that's how i see it don't really understand the perspective of where like the idea that chaos is coming from i think it might be from the athletic field battle game because it, it was kind of chaos but otherwise i think lopate has a pretty good idea of who his players are and where they're going to
3: play um shake it's us uh, or points out even though Mourinho was the great satan <laughs> His team was second to none ever in counterattacks, that Madrid team. I feel that recently, especially under Lopetegui, we are very slow on counterattacks. Should we just accept as a package with everything else that uh, that comes with possession? Should we just accept as that as a package with everything else that comes with possession-based style? Or can we change style during counterattacks? Um, also, I think it is never smart to withdraw a bail when you need more goals. So...
2: I think... Uh, well, I I think um, we have to keep in mind the opponents up until now is in that Leganes, Getafe, These guys, I mean, Bilbao opened up a little bit, and and we actually had a few counter attacking sequences in this game. But for the most part, teams that are going to be in a low block are not going to allow for counter attacks. I think we'll see more of those counter attacks in the Champions League, particularly against big teams, because that's the nature. And that yeah. is like an underrated reason why Real Madrid thrive in Europe is because big teams tend to go at us and we just. I would. Can't I would be them.
3: interested to see how. I mean, Shea, look for this against Roma in Rome. This, that, that's a that's a matchup circled on my calendar. I'm very interested. It's, it's the it's the first test in in the La era of this style of football. I think
2: possibly. So yeah.
1: So first, first off, I agree that it's not. It wasn't smart to withdraw bail. I, I didn't understand what Lucas Vasquez really provided in that situation. I thought maybe Mariano would be the one who needed to come on in such a physical, intense game. But towards like the main question, I, I mean, I guess I understand why there's the perception that there's a trade-off between a possession-based style and counterattacks. Like you're not going to be good at counterattacking if you play a possession-based style, but it's not really true. I mean, simply. It's simply the fact that counterattacks are not going to be your main weapon, and you're maybe not going to have as many counterattacking opportunities because you simply have the ball more. But it doesn't hurt your ability to transition, especially when you consider the fact that Lopetegui likes to counterpress. You know, we should expect to see a lot of transition-based opportunities higher up the pitch because we're attempting to win the ball really fast and attack the opposition when they don't have a set defense. So I think that that I think we need to like as like just as as fans reorient like the way we kind of view possession based systems, not necessarily as antithetical to counter counterattacks, but possibly complementary, certainly in a positional play system, certainly in Lopateggi system. And you know, there was against Hirona, like I think Keon's point was, was, was on he hit the nail on the head when he said we haven't faced teams that really allowed us to counterattack. But even in the Hiruna game, the goal that Bale scored was a counterattack, he was running off the shoulder mm-hmm. and it was extremely incisive. So I wouldn't necessarily say that we've we were slow sluggish on the counters like it's not it's not Mourinho's counterattacking team because that team was built around scoring that way. But we're still going to be very good at it and I expect to see, you know, these opportunities pop up periodically, especially in Europe, like you guys mentioned. So I also have to we don't have that many questions left, but I have to leave the podcast. Um, you know, I got a couple of things to do before the the next hour mark hits. So, see you guys. Um, wow, I'll just like guys that,
2: guys. eh? No notice, I, nothing. I, I peace really, out.
1: No, I I sent you guys a message on Skype, but
2: um, okay, I did not see that message. Okay, but bye, I, I take your word for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, am sorry, sorry like, I, I
1: really I really, have to, I really have to get <laughs> something done. I didn't I didn't. I only realized like in the middle of the podcast. So, apologize for the viewers.
2: Apologize. To my comments, much left, my man. It's okay. But see you guys later. See you, buddy. Bye. <clears throat> um, the, yeah, and the other thing with the counter, and, and I, I know the Girona point is interesting because Owen brought up the bill uh, goal before he left. But it, I think we may have mentioned this on a previous episode. And, and as cliche and lame as it sounds, if Real Madrid score first in, under this particular scheme and blueprint, it's going to be hard to claw your way back against them. And you're going to have to open up and counter-attack and, and all this because that's exactly what happened to Girona. It's like they played well. They go behind a goal. Second half, things just change. They concede a penalty. Then Real Madrid just keep the ball and Girona have to push up. And it's just demoralizing to play against. That may have happened against Bilbao if Ramos scores that yeah. in the second half or whatever. I also wanted to um, explain the Bale sub from the perspective of Lopetegui, Um because Lopetegi was asked this question, and um, I think his answer is at least interesting to explain it a bit. He said, Mariano could have been an option, uh, but we understand that Gareth Bale needed a rest. Yeah. And we decided to put Lucas on to create a lot of danger. With Isco, we were looking for a player to get behind the midfielders and who could receive the ball. So, like, and this kind of goes with for all of his subs um he was criticized for his subs against atletico in the super cup um and then in this one mostly because ramirez didn't get a result either but when you kind of go back and rationalize and the the thought process behind it it's not it's not that like outlandish and and crazy yeah
3: you can see where he's coming from yeah. at
2: least yeah. which is
3: <laughs> Better than I thought sometimes, of Zidane, who did seem to act a little bit more on gut. Um, I mean, or at least that's what he, the impression he gave in his press conferences. Um, Jamie Dow uh, asks this, I understand the logic behind Kroos starting as our pivot for his Bilbao, given that Kasimir returned from the international break late and the additional technical midfielder would be ideal for breaking B- uh, Bilbao's press and finding a way through any deep block. I also understand a lot, <clears throat> given his performance in midweek. But surely if the past few seasons have taught us anything, it's that Crows can can Crows uh, can play that in a pin or if we're really not expecting much resistance. But he doesn't provide enough cover. And against teams looking to counter, we need that natural defensive midfielder. Surely last night was exactly why we have Marcos in the squad. A natural defensive midfielder who can break with this his with um, uh, can help with distribution and breaking any press without leaving us so vulnerable on the break. If he's not going to play when Casemiro isn't one hundred percent, when is he ever likely to get minutes?
2: <laughs> Probably when Casemiro and Cruz are out somehow.
3: Um, or this game shows why it might have been a smart play to start him. I mean, yeah, no, that's I think but I think
2: and again, like I, I know we talked about this in but I think the way Lopetegi justified it is not so much about um, do I need Marcos or Kroos? It was do I need a DM, a pure DM or not? And I think he really expected that he would just control this game with Cruz as an anchor and just pass this game to death. And I think he was probably surprised about how Vivao played them. And yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think that's essentially what it was. I think if he goes with a DM to start, it's probably Casemiro anyway. Um. Yeah, but I I just think he was probably caught off guard with the way Bill Bow handled. But I agree with Jamie, like generally. Uh,
3: I totally agree with that. I don't have anything else to add. Actually, um, this is a good question, and it's on. Hopefully, that um, we'll see Marcos more. Um, I and I believe we will. I'll just say that it's still early going. Um, I think that we will see him more. Uh, Little Battegi knows him and knows what he can bring to the pitch, so I think it's it just. It, it, we're playing Bilbao at San Mamés. I get the instinct to want to go with, uh, with the kind of high intensity and and players who who know this this level of like being a Real Madrid player in San Mamés against uh, Athletic Bilbao is a different experience. It's 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 the closest thing to getting to you know hostile fans against Barcelona. Like that's where we are with this. It's the, it's one of the hardest venues in Spain for Real Madrid to play. Um, last question. Sajid Reyes asks us about Casemiro. Is this the match that erases all questions on whether we need to start Casemiro, especially in important matches? We've had a very small sample size of what happens when he doesn't start, and it definitely isn't pretty. Um, he lists some matches. Um, it's not like Kante is any better than him at distribution. Um, at distribution right to nitpick on this aspect of his game. They are CDM, after all. It's a small trade-off to make for immense benefits these types of players bring to the table. First of all, I do think Kante is better at distribution. Yeah, he is. Um, but uh, that's not the issue here. Um, I think Cosmere would have been useful. They, he's not a must-start in every match, though. I mean, no one is. I really don't think anyone should be a must-start in every match. Madrid needs to be deep enough that they should feel comfortable having any player be out um and have the other person step up. And if it needs to have a tactical adjustment, like perhaps Lovateki could have done more of a double pivot rather than leaving Kros kind of exposed at the back. I mean there are there were tactical answers to this, I think. But yeah, I, I mean I think Casemiro would have been really useful in this match, especially given the way the game progressed and how much better the team looked once he and Esco came on. So yeah, it was this is a, was a, a match that showcased the types of... I think there is a, a wide variety of times when he is a very useful player and he will start generally, I think.
2: Well, I think, again, this goes back to Lopetegui's thought process going into certain games. And and I mean, this particular subject we probably really yeah, touched think- on the most in this podcast. But, you know, like you said, there's a small sample size of what happens when he doesn't start for us and definitely isn't pretty Bayern second leg. Now this one, I mean, there's also been... Plenty of good sample sizes yeah. without him in big games throughout the last two three years, and I think so. It, either way, like I think there are certain games he, he we need him. Certain other games we can we can get away without him and and play a, a better like you know hold up possession game or whatever. I but also we've we've to Lo thought process again. I think he's trying to find a way to be able to have a press-resistant team without him, um, because Casemiro really struggled, especially in Girona, and hasn't had a great year until now, when I thought he was he was really good yesterday. I think Lopetegui's trying to find a way where he can just pack the midfield with technically gifted players, because he's really worried about teams pressing Casemiro, and I think that's what he was trying to do. And then but that doesn't mean Casemiro is going to be brushed aside and, and be lost. And obviously not, especially we saw what he did yesterday. I just think that there's going to be different games, different moments, different fits. And I and I don't know, like, again, like, if, if everybody is healthy in the team, it's the same problem almost as you have had, like, every year, which is a good problem, which is some games it's going to be Isco on the bench. Some games it's going to be Casemiro. Like, some games it's going to be maybe Asensio. Like, it just... When everybody is healthy, there's actually one or two places in the squad that are debatable and they're up for grabs and Casemiro's slot is one of them. East Coast is the other one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yep. I, I just, you know, it's not clear cut.
3: All right. That is your long Welcome back to your uh Managing Madrid podcast. This is um this has been your long show we will be back to discuss Roma um on Wednesday and until then you may get Oma and I had a very interesting chat about um, some stuff about uh, the Ronaldo transfer some new FIFA potential FIFA roles. we may push that out to you as well um and that's sort of all I've got Keon, do you have anything that you want to plug
2: um on Tuesday Matt and I I think possibly Sam shot but I'm not sure we're going to Record a podcast for our patrons to um, give you an update on the performances of the loan players. So every Tuesday we call it the Loan Tracker Podcast. And this week we'll talk about the performances of Odegaard, uh, Kovacic, um, uh, Vinicius Jr., who is not really on loan, but we know we cover him anyway, and, and a couple others. Raul De Tomas, who played on Friday and, and, and played well. So we'll do that. And um, we should do patron shout outs. And then I guess before we wrap do it up. It. All right. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to get access to the Loan Tracker podcast plus our Wednesday po- uh, post game show for Roma, which is coming up. And plus other bonus shows and also get different awards based on your pledge. One of your pledges, if you, get, if you pledge $10 or more, you get um, a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to all these $10 plus patrons. Sergio Monleon. Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Kohut, Nick DeStefane, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berkey, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Salazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavrinakis, Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Sujai Wani, Nick Robero, Yahya Ibrahim Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obade, and Daniel Smith. The GOATs.
3: Thank you all. You're wonderful. And until next week or until Wednesday. A la madre.
2: A madre.
0: Have you heard?